The Pharisees struggled with Jesus, mostly because, well, he didn't fit in any of their God boxes. We're in Luke 15. If you would turn your Bibles with me to Luke 15. And we're going to start reading in verses 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. You see, the religious complained. They just simply said that Jesus hangs out and eats with the scum of society. Tax collectors were notoriously corrupt and universally hated. Jesus flat out loved people, all people, and ate with them. Pharisees were religious, and they paraded their knowledge and their sacrifice. You see, religion makes you proud, while a relationship with God actually makes you humble. Pharisees knew about God, but they didn't know God. We often give Pharisees a bad rap. We we look at them, and they're hyper-religious, and they make sure everybody knows how holy they are, but Realistically, they were a group of good people. They memorized God's word. They knew God's word. It was just how they acted. They wanted to make sure everybody understood how holy, how much knowledge they knew. They loved correcting people. And they loved walking around with their robes. They loved the attention. So Jesus, at least in this moment, near the end of his ministry, he told three short stories that that basically explained his behavior. Why he actually hung up with the scum. He told three parables in Luke 15. He talked about the lost lamb. He talked about the lost coins. And he talked about the two lost sons. The message is the same for all of these parables. Our assiduous God loves the lost, pursues the lost, and joyously throws a party when they repent and are found. The first two stories, the lost lamb and the lost coin, set up the shocking third story. Again, I I want to publicly thank Tim Keller, John MacArthur, and Kenneth Bailey, whose writings, in my opinion, have helped me understand especially the culture of Luke 15. Let's continue to read the last part of this parable, starting at verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to get one as you walk in, or you can follow along with me behind the screen. Luke 15, starting in verse 25. Meanwhile, meanwhile, 
The older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, well, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all of these years I've enslaved for you and never once ever refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never even gave, or you never even, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, and now he was found. Once again, this is a good story without the context, but it is a great story when you understand the context. This story offended and infuriated the Pharisees and shattered their views about God, sin, and salvation. Because Jesus in this story redefines all of them. There are two types of people who are far away from God. One group is bold and brazen in their rebellion, not caring who sees their sin or who their sin hurts. The younger son is the captain of this team. The other group looks good on the outside and are secretive sinners. These shiny people love the applause of men and enjoy their rebellion when they think nobody is watching. The older son leads this group. Of the two types of sinners, the reckless sinner often sees the reality of their fallenness quicker. He repents faster and seeks genuine salvation. Their sin is apparent and the fruit is undeniable. They are drowning and they need a savior. The shiny sinner tries to camouflage his rebellion deny his guilt and the need for redemption. He can swim, usually quite well, and even enjoys the sunny, calm days during his swim. But it takes a lot for this person to admit he's drowning and that he also needs a savior. Although most of the focus over the years has been on the audacious behavior of the younger lost son. This parable is really about the self-righteous elder lost son. The son that literally, at least at this time, represents the Pharisees. Both sons resented the father's authority, and both sons were lost. And both sons received grace from a loving father. I'm going to focus on the elder born, the first born son today. Let's ask God to do a work in each one of us. Let's pray. 
Father, as we just pause and come to you again, we have sought your face today. We have asked you to do a work in us and through us. We have asked that the Holy Spirit would be abundantly active to convict and encourage and strengthen. We come, Lord, in the midst of crisis. We come in the midst of well, not understanding all that's happening in the world and our worlds. We continue to pray for the church, especially in Ukraine. We pray, Father, that you would end that war. We pray that you would protect and encourage and strengthen the folks of Ukraine. We pray, dear Father, for those who have been hurt in Russia, and we ask, dear God, that you would do a work in both of those countries and leaders. We know, Father, as we look at our home, our country, there's so many things that seem to be out of whack. There's so many decisions that we wonder about. We look to you, God, to guide and direct. We, we pray, especially for our leaders. We know not all of them love you. We know that not all of them want to please you. But, Father, we even meet not only as a church, but as the church this Thursday. And we will be addressing and praying specifically for our nation. We ask, God, that you would work that you would hear our prayers, that you would bring people to their knees, that there would be great repentance and a great multitude of people turning toward you. Lord, we recognize that there are churches right in our area, churches who are preaching and teaching and strengthening the flock. We know as we go to our work and as we live in our neighborhoods and as we have opportunity to be salt and light, we need your eyes. We need to see lost people differently. We need to encourage others with our words. We need you. We pray specifically, Father, for Fierce Church and for Wonder Lake Bible and for Northbrook. And we would ask, dear God, that, that you would be with those flocks and you would strengthen those sheep today. We also pray for all the teachers and the kids who are downstairs. And we thank you, Father, for their love for you. And we pray that you would do a work in our younger people this day. Father, we thank you this past week as we celebrated so many of the kids who memorized God's word. As the Iwano words were given out, we thank you, Father, for those who worked with those kids, encouraged those kids, and we thank you how they memorized your word and put it in their heart. We know, God, it is your word that transforms us. We know it is your word that changes us. We know it is your word that gives us the ability to stand up to the enemy and to, well, destroy the cultural influences around us. 
God, we ask that we would grow. We ask that we would be obedient. We ask, God, that you would move the kingdom forward, that it would come, and that we would partner with you well. Open our eyes now, God, as we continue in this parable. We ask you to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Because of our cultural ignorance, most assume, as you just read this parable, that the elder brother was the ideal son, the obedient one, faithfully serving in his father's fields. As we will soon see, nothing could be further from the truth. He pretended to be a loyal son, but in reality, he had no respect for his father, no interest in his father, no love for his father's values, and certainly no concern for his lost brother. Let's get back to this story that Jesus told. We find that the elder son returns late in the evening after a long day in the fields. You all know how that feels. You all understand after sometimes a long day at work, you want to just come home. And that's what happened with this son. But as the sun returns, the word had spread, the guests had arrived, and the party had momentum. We would say that the elder son was blindsided here. This tells us a few things. First of all, the property had to be massive. For him not to hear this or for him to eventually get back to this spot, we know that this patriarch had money. We do. But his fields were large. But more importantly, the father's lack of communication is significant here. This is so unusual in this culture because the oversight of such a party would always land in the firstborn's lap. He would be the one who would organize it. He would be the one to send out the invitations. He would be the one to throw the party. In this culture, patriarchs didn't throw parties. They didn't. There's only one logical reason for this. The elder son was estranged. The elder son was alienated from the father. The father knew how his oldest son felt against his youngest brother. And he didn't want the party ruined because of a sour attitude. So he took the leadership role away. So when the heir, when this oldest son found out about his brother's return and the party, his surprise is understandable. It is. His indignation and his anger is not so easily excused. You see, joy would have been normal if he had loved his lost brother or his dead brother. Joy would have been there if he respected his father. But he did not respect the father, nor condone his actions, because he knew what the party meant. 
Dad had received back the black sheep, and their relationship was restored. What is wrong with him? How come he did this? I don't get it. How could the father dishonor the family? The younger brother, he he should be shamed. He should not be graced. The elder son soured at the thought of a restored relationship and resented those who couldn't follow the rules and actually needed to repent. The older son did not understand grace, nor did he think he needed it. We all will see that his self-centered his self-centeredness made the need for his father's grace even greater than the prodigal brother. Oh, here the story gets really interesting. I'd like to read. In verse 28... The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, begged him. Wow. The father comes out of the party. The father is enjoying the party. The neighbors are excited. This is great news. But the father goes out to his older lost son And pleads with him to set aside his bitterness. Come inside and join the celebration. In this culture, again, not trying to demean any of us, but we don't get this. It seems like it's really a great story. But in this culture, in this culture, all right, patriarchs don't plead. They they don't beg. But in this story, the father does. And this is the whole point of the story. God is assiduous. God is surprising. We would never expect God to do this. The older son certainly didn't expect his father to do this. This is wrong. The older son's response tells it all. The father is there begging. The father desires deeply for this son to come in. And this is his response. All these years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. Now, I use the NLT version And right after this text, right in verse 29, it says, but he replied. Most other versions will have the word look or low or behold. If I were going to translate this, I would write dude. All right? Dude. 
In this culture, no one would address the patriarch of a family like this. It was so interesting in one of my family gatherings. I won't name any names just in case this gets back. But I have six grandkids. And every once in a while, my kids and their spouses will say something to the grandkids that evokes a response. And as a grandfather, I would always hope they would say, oh, most honorable mother, I'd like to disagree with you. (laughs) Or dad, you are the greatest, but I think at least something like that. (laughs) No kidding. We are eating. And there was a disagreement. And one of my grandkids looked right at their mother and said, Dude. (laughs) No. Honestly, I I couldn't laugh. Grandparents are not supposed to do that, right? But I saw mom's eyes. And this is not how you address mother. Dude. Dude. In this culture, it was even more blatant. It was. The patriarch would not be addressed. No title, no name, no affection, no respect. His folly continues. He says, for all those years, I have been your slave. His service to his father felt like slavery. Ouch! Ouch! So this is how you feel? You feel like a slave? He, He goes on. He says, Dad, I have always obeyed you. Really? Perhaps when everyone was looking... Was he obeying to get something or to look good? I don't think it was out of love or respect. And he continues his rant. And he says, you, you have never given me a goat for a party with my friends. Now we know, actually, that wasn't true. All that was there. All he had to do was ask. There's no doubt. But what we don't understand right now is that this almost feels like he was demanding an apology from his father. Are you kidding? Notice that when he talked about his party, it did not include his brother It did not include his father, and it did not include the neighbors. Which to us say, oh, you know what, it's a teenager, it's a young adult, no big deal. It didn't happen then. You don't do that. Parties were cultural. Parties were for the neighborhood. Parties were celebrated with everyone like that. Then he goes on. And it doesn't seem to get any better. This son of yours. 
He doesn't even call the younger brother a brother. He doesn't say, my brother. There was, there was no compassion in there. And what he did is he called out the most offensive sins. Sins, at least in that culture, deserve judgment or even death. Uh, excuse me, Dad. I just want you to know. That tramp of a son of yours. <laughs> this is what he did. He doesn't deserve a party. He doesn't deserve to be welcomed home. He doesn't deserve that robe. He doesn't deserve that ring. He doesn't deserve the sandals. Don't you get it, Father? He deserves judgment and maybe even death. Now, in spite of the firstborn crossing these boundaries, Here's the shock, and here's what really bothered the Pharisees. The father responds tenderly. Tenderly. Instead of treating the oldest as he deserved, the father assured him of his love and his affection and reminded him of the riches that were already his. He basically told his elder son that, hey, the relationship that you really desire, it's there if you want it. The father's resources were available if he wanted them. All of his life, he obeyed his father in order to get things, not to get his dad. But in spite of that, and in spite of his father understanding this, his dad responds with truth, with grace, with mercy, tenderness, compassion, and love. And you know what is so cool? Is the father's response about the party. It was classic. Verse 31. His father said to him, Look, dear son. A term, an affectionate term. Son, you as far away as my younger son was. Son, you don't respect. Son, you are arrogant. You are focusing all on yourself. But son, dear son, look, look. You have always stayed by me. And I and everything I have is yours. Verse 32. We had to celebrate this happy day. It wasn't even an option. We, we had to celebrate it. Do you understand that? For your brother was dead and now he's come back to life. He was lost and now he is found. The celebration is perfectly right and natural. His dead son is now alive and he literally returned a different son. Basically, he said, I have no choice. I have no choice. We had to throw a party. My joy was overwhelming. We had to invite everybody. This was an unbelievable event. 
And what I like to say is this. This is God's heart. This is God. God loves when the lost respond. God wants to throw a party. He wants everybody to know the joy that just oozes from his heart. And actually, those who walk with God respond the same way to lost people. Now, let me say this, and maybe you haven't even noticed it. But the story's end is stark. It's stark. It just ends. Inside, there's a vibrant celebration with music and dancing and feasting, along with the beloved son who had been redeemed. Outside, an angry, bitter son who is attacking his father's virtue and integrity. How will the elder son respond? We don't know. We don't know. And that would have driven the first hairs crazy. Who ends a story like this? Nobody ends a story like this. Jesus intentionally left the story unfinished and the dilemma unsettled. Wouldn't it have been grand if the story ended like this? And we could fill in the blank. The elder son fell on his knees. He repented of his sin. And he joined his father in the party. But we don't know. We don't know. In fact, John MacArthur when he's commenting on this section, he wrote what he thought was an appropriate ending for the parable. Being that the father figure represented Christ and the elder son is the symbol of Israel's religious leaders. This is how he thought the parable should end. The elder son was outraged at his father. He picked up a piece of lumber and beat him to death in front of everyone. What? (laughs) What? But isn't that what happened on Good Friday? Isn't it? Isn't that how Jesus was treated? A man that offered grace and forgiveness? A man that hurt no one? A man that wanted the best? Let's try to put this in perspective. The party isn't saying anything negative about the elder son. But his reaction and response says it all. You see, the older son spent time with his father. 
but he didn't know his father. That's like so many folks today who are part of religion. The oldest is self-centered, is cruel, and angry over the father's kindness. You see, he didn't like the idea of grace and forgiveness given to repenting sinners, those who failed and shamed the family's name. The father was kind and merciful and rejoices when sinners repent. The elder son felt that his father ought to only grace those who work hard and obey like himself. His brother didn't deserve grace. He did. He did. What we need to understand is that the father loved both sons. And both sons needed grace. What does this story teach you about God? What is important to God? How does God want you to live? And what does this teach you about you or me? My question is this. Do you know our assiduous God of Luke 15. I don't know if you're either one of the sons. Maybe you're a third son that is walking with God and loving God and responding to God and enjoying the Father's house. But, but maybe... You're the son that is brazen. <laughs> Don't want anything to do with that son or that father. And I'm just going to live my own life. That son, by the way, ended up feeding pigs. And knew that his father was loving and gracious and he just needed to go back. Or you're the older son. The son that goes to church and does all the right things and looks and, and knows a lot about God. Oh, yeah. But we forget what God cares about and what's important to God. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he de desires deeply for each one to have this relationship with him. And sometimes as church people or sometimes as religious people, we don't want to get dirty. We don't want to be inconvenienced. Do you understand that everybody needs grace? 
Do you understand that all of our rebelliousness to God is offensive? And he said, that's why I sent Jesus to die in your place so that you might be restored and have a relationship. Oh, my friends, I don't know where you're at. But this story is disturbing. This story is life-giving. This story is harsh. And this story is amazing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you, Father, for being a merciful and compassionate God. God, I am not sure why we are so self-centered and, and why we think that our way is best. Lord, you care deeply for us. You pursue us and you desire, God, for us to be in relationship and to reflect you well. We would ask, God, as we hear this parable, that you would convict us and you would inspire us. God, I guess the one word that comes after we look at this parable is, Thank you. Thank you. Because we don't deserve this. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.